Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus says he's hopeful COVID-19 will no longer be a global public health emergency next year, but he warned about the availability of vaccines, with only a fifth of people in low-income countries having received a jab. He said that while COVID was still affecting many people around the world, the situation is improving. In Turkey, the mayor of Istanbul, seen as a strong rival to President Erdogan, has been sentenced to two and a half years in prison and banned from politics for insulting public officials. Addressing supporters, Ekrem Imamoglu said the sentence was a sign of the current conditions in Turkey. This court case has proved that there's no justice left in Turkey. This case is led by people who do not want to bring the values such as justice and democracy to Turkey. In fact, this is a case which was shamelessly influenced and decided by the people who claim ownership of everything and see themselves as the state and the nation. Locally, the Tourism Board says it may take a while to bring tourists back to Hong Kong after the latest easing of COVID-19 curbs, with some Southeast Asian trade representatives calling for the further relaxation of restrictions here. About 60 guests from Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines and Singapore gathered at the West Kowloon Cultural District to join the board's winter festival. The Tourism Board's Executive Director, Dane Chang, says he hopes resuming full travel with the mainland is the next step. At the moment, we can see that slowly the airlines are ramping up their capacity, which is a key thing for Hong Kong. So it's going to take a while. And the other thing, of course, we would very much like to see the reopening of our boundary with the mainland. I think that is the majority of our visitors. 80% of them are coming from the mainland. So we would very much like to see that opening in due course. The news from RTHK. Thanks, Andrew. Well, good morning. It is Thursday, the 15th of December. This is James Ross in for Peter Lewis. Uh, In the headlines, the U.S. Central Bank has hiked interest rates again by half a percentage point and warned more rises will be necessary to rein in the rapid pace of price increases. Forecasts from the Federal Reserve showed the bank's key interest rate could stand above 5% a year from now. But policymakers are starting to move more cautiously, following signs that the most severe inflation in decades may be starting to ease. Industrial production in the Eurozone fell 2% more than expected in October, adding to signs that Europe is heading for a recession this winter and making it more likely that the ECB will opt for a smaller rise in interest rates this week. October's decline was deeper than the 1.5% drop expected by economists. And the UK's inflation rate yesterday eased away from a 41-year high. Uh, Consumer prices in Britain rose 10.7% in November, down slightly from 11.1% in October, the highest annual rate since 1981. Wage growth is failing to keep up with inflation in the UK, and in turn this is prompting a growing wave of labour unrest. Railway and postal workers are currently on strike over demands for higher pay, while nurses are set to walk off the job later today. 
Hong Kong's financial markets watchdog has issued a warning over the risks of online platforms for cryptocurrency and other digital asset deposits. In a statement, the Securities and Futures Commission says, quote, investors are urged to be wary of the potential high risks associated with so-called virtual asset arrangements. The SFC announcement comes as the founder of failed crypto exchange FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, has been arrested and charged. And yesterday he was denied bail by a court in the Bahamas. Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi is considering visiting China later this month, diplomatic sources said yesterday, as the two nations look for ways to stabilise bilateral ties that have often been strained recently. It would be the first visit to China by a Japanese Foreign Minister in three years. The SCMP reporting that Macau's government will sign contracts with the six winning casino concessionaires on Friday, according to a source. Uh, Last month, MGM Grand Paradise, Galaxy Casino, Venetian Macau, Melco Resorts Macau, Wynn Resorts Macau and SJM Resorts were all awarded 10-year licenses to run from the 1st of January 2023. Top executives are likely to attend a press conference on Saturday, where further details about their respective investment plans could be disclosed. And in Elon Musk news, Twitter has suspended the account dedicated to tracking the location of his private jet. The account at Elon Jet was run by a Florida college student, Jack Sweeney, and had amassed more than half a million followers. It tracked Musk's plane location using publicly available flight data and appears to have been suspended yesterday. Musk previously claimed he was such a staunch advocate for free speech that he would not ban the plane training account, which he called a direct personal safety risk. Well, we'll be joined on Money Talk today by wealth investment strategist NCO Von File and Simon Kavanagh, partner at BDA Partners. And later on, we'll take a view from Taiwan with Ross Feingold, business development director at SafePro Group. Don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, moneytalk at rthk.hk is our email. Text us on 63935925. Our Facebook page is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter, we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Okay, quick look at the markets and starting on Wall Street where stocks fell overnight after the Fed announced plans for additional interest rate hikes despite recent data showing a moderation in inflation. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said he was encouraged by the latest consumer price data but that the central bank's policy was still not restrictive enough in light of too high inflation. The Dow down 0.4% at 33,966. The S&P 500 down 0.6% to 3,990. While the Nasdaq fell 0.8% to 11,170. In Europe, the regional stocks Europe 600 closed flat. Mining and travel stocks led losses, shedding 1.7% and 1.5% respectively. London's FTSE 100 slipped one-tenth of 1%, despite that UK inflation slowing to 10.7% in November, down from 11.1% the previous month. Hong Kong shares closed up yesterday as traders cheered a lower-than-expected U.S. inflation reading and focused on the Fed's interest rate announcement. The Hang Seng up 0.4% or 77 points to 19,673. The Shanghai Composite flat at 3,176. The Shenzhen Composite Index edging down a tenth of 1% to 2,048. 
Over in Japan, Tokyo stocks advanced. Nikkei 225 up 0.72% at 28,156.21. Okay, to commodities news. Um, Brent crude currently trading up 2.5% at $82.77 a barrel. Copper up 1% at $387.80 a pound. Uh, spot gold almost unchanged at $1,807.17 an ounce. In the bond market, the U.S. 10-year bond currently showing yields of 3.48%. To currencies, currently the euro buying almost $1.07. The U.S. dollar standing at 135.45 Japanese yen. The pound buys 9.66 Hong Kong dollars this morning. The yuan stands at 6.95 against the U.S. dollar. And Bitcoin currently trading at 17,823 U.S. Uh, just a quick look at the ASX uh, 200 currently at 7,214, down half a percentage point. And Hang Seng Futures looking like the market will open about half a percent uh, higher uh, this morning. Uh, well, let's uh, move to our guests and um, Enzio von File, uh, Wealth Investment Strategist. Uh, good morning, Enzio. Good morning, James. Nice to have you on the show, as normal, on a, a Thursday morning. And uh, good morning, Simon. Simon Kavner, a partner at BDA Partners. Morning, James. Well, I guess overnight the the news that we was coming uh, uh, came, and that was that uh, there was going to be a half a percentage uh, point uh, rise uh, from the Fed. Um, Simon, g- kicking off, uh, any thoughts on that? We we you know saw it coming, didn't we? Um, what what do we think now? How's that going to look for us going into the new year? Well, I think you're right. It came in as expected, and um, but I think it's the direction for 2023 that was more of an indicator in terms of rates are likely to end up now higher than had previously been anticipated, unemployment's going to increase, and overall growth, GDP growth in the U.S. has come down quite sharply from the previous forecasts. So I think it will be, I mean, maybe they can skirt around recession um, and sort of have the light touch that Jerome Powell wants, but they're cutting it quite close. Is it, a, is it a light touch, Enzio? What, what, do, you, what do you feel about um, the market in the US at the moment? Is it going to impact around the world as well? Well, the, the Fed funds hike, I think, is actually going to go up to about a 6% rate. Listeners know that I've been suggesting this for some time just because the supply side of inflation, services, wages, chip prices, perhaps even oil if Putin does some things, will remain high and I think that's going to have to call for higher Fed funds rates. Um, and La Nina won't abate in Argentina, La Nina being a weather pattern, just because the Fed funds have been hiked. So, there, And there are also response lags of about, about nine months between a Fed funds hike and the actual influence on the economy. So we're still in Kubler-Ross's grief cycle of denial and anger or ebullience, as you wish to see it at this stage, in the early stages of, of her grief cycle. Uh, you know, we've obviously uh, seen that impact of uh, oil prices. And um, last week, uh, President G met um, President uh, Biden. Um, you know, I, well, what's the impact of that uh, of that meeting and um, President uh, Xi's visit to Saudi Arabia in particular, which was last week? Sorry, Biden was a, a couple of weeks back. I think we've got 
very sort of mixed messages. I mean, obviously, every positive meeting is interpreted very well by the markets and everyone is looking for a cool down of these heightened tensions and for the investment environment to return. And if interest rates fall at the same time, um, that's great. But then at the same time, yes, they have their meetings, but then you have the US putting significant pressure on um, various other allied countries and in particular the Netherlands and Japan um, to create what I've seen referred to as this silicon fence around China. So they can talk and be friendly on one hand, but the actions are sort of still pointing in the other direction. I mean, the WTO, um, the, compl- the complaint by China to the WTO has been escalated uh, this week. And that looks like uh, China-US relations uh, are not going quite in the right direction uh, following that earlier meeting by uh, President Biden and uh, President Xi. Are you optimistic, uh, NZO, uh, you know, following these various meetings that things could get better between the two countries? Not in the run-up to the election 2002-4. I think they will get worse because everybody in America gets to beat up on China. That was my experience on Capitol Hill when I was doing that stuff years and years ago. I also want to just point out it's not just chips, it's the fact that the Biden administration recently rejected a WTO ruling about national security issues involving steel imports from China. And this means what this the danger of this is that any old country now could say, well, on national security grounds, we're going to reject what the WTO is saying. And that means and the reason for the rejection of that by the by the Biden administration is, of course, because of the steel jobs, which are Democrat voters, basically steel workers. So all politics remain domestic. And I think it's just going to get worse from here on in with the U.S.-China relations, sadly. Simon, would you like to add to that? I think NZO is right. The politics will come into play here. and uh, But, I mean, at some point, both countries need to realize that they need one another. Um, the supply chain was completely disrupted last year, um, and there needs to be a sense of normality. Investment into China may be slowing down, but it's not as if uh, people are pulling out entirely. It's still an integral part of the global economy, and the two sides need to see eye to eye at some point. They, they don't necessarily have to be friends, but they need to learn to work together. Right. Uh, China's exports and imports have been um, shrinking, uh, you know, in, in November. Uh, Enzio, d- does that situation look like it will change? You know, do we see that things like um, global transport um, affecting the ongoing uh, trade uh, between China and the rest of the world? Well, the transport rates actually have fallen by some 87%, apparently, according to some of the statistics that we cited last week. Um, But I would just caution, especially traders in the markets, because the Chinese economy has been really decimated for the past three years. And I just don't believe, maybe I'm old-fashioned, that an economy is just going to sort of pick up just like that within three or six months. I think that a lot of repair work has to be done. It's also what Simon was saying. A lot of countries, a lot of companies are actually now looking at other places to go to. Um, So I think that the the final point is that the sky is high and the emperor is far away, which goes to say that regardless of what Beijing says on its COVID policy, it's the local implementation that counts. And I think there will be that will be a bit stickier than than we might wish to anticipate at this at this stage. 
I mean, the COVID, the COVID uh, policy is an interesting one, isn't it, at the moment? Because it does seem that, uh, you know, China is pretty quickly lifting a lot of the uh, uh, restrictions that it did have in place. And we're seeing a, a kind of surge of um, consumer buying and so on. Do we think that the uh, economy is go- in, in the mainland is going to be led purely by, you know, consumers and trade within the country, uh, much more so anyway than perhaps it was in the past? Oh, I think, I mean, China still has had, even pre-pandemic, a very long way to go in terms of developing its domestic economy, Mm. just particularly from, say, a services and a tourism point of view. Um, And if it feels that it needs to turn inward a little bit um, to boost that domestic economy, that's fine. Um, It will get there at some point anyway, as other countries have done. But I think what will hold them back as well, I mean, and you mentioned at the start, James, the drop in industrial manufacturing in Germany, um, and there's been a similar um, sort of scene in China as well. And it's an overhang from 2021 when there was, with the supply chain disruptions, massive um, overordering effectively of inventory and components on the industrial side. And 2022 has seen a destocking of that, particularly then as the economy's weakened and um, products just haven't been in demand. And so overall factory output this year has been depressed anyway because of the supply chain issues, um, let alone the issues now in terms of actually getting workers into the factories um, with COVID. If I can just add to that, let's also not forget that about two-thirds of the Chinese economy is not reported on those are, of course, the two, the 900 million rural people, and those just don't get any coverage. One uh, gets some spot, spotty articles in the papers about these things, but not about these people, but not a great deal. So it, it depends also very much on how fast this rural economy can get back on its feet. And I don't think it's going to be as fast as the markets are hoping. What sort of things, you know, are involved in that rural economy? Are we talking purely, NZ, about farming? You know, what, what are those, those factors? Okay, farming, lack of health, lack of transportation, lack of hygiene. So this whole COVID thing, if it's, if it's stuck to the cities, yes, there are hospitals. We kind of figured that one out. But you go to the countryside, according to my friends, and there just is nothing really around. So, and then also the refusal to import these foreign jabs, the, the, the BioNTech, etc., um, is also going to exacerbate that situation. So I'm afraid that China's going to be in for a bit of a longer haul than the markets currently are anticipating. And what's what's your your outlook? Would you say for the next say six to twelve months for 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 China? A a form of the economic time is bad excess supply of goods, excess supply of money. But it's it's a bad economic outlook because of this random event of COVID. And so I think China is going to have very very sticky growth. How they can reach five point five percent next year, I don't know. It just sounds a little bit like Alice in Wonderland to me. And I think globally we're going to go into stagflation over the next couple of years. Um, Simon, just turning to another subject, and you know, I mentioned earlier on that um, Hong Kong's financial markets watchdog has issued a warning over the risks of uh, cryptocurrency uh, and so on. Are you seeing, you know, some impact on the financial and in- investment world as a whole on the failure of uh, FTX? You know, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, being arrested and charged yesterday. He was held on uh, on um, uh, denied bail by a court in the Bahamas. What are the what are the impacts here in Hong? Kong and the region? I don't think there are any 
specific impacts on Hong Kong and the region. I think for for crypto and virtual assets globally, um, the impact is very much on the individual. I think it's individuals that have lost significantly more than uh, corporations or funds, um, just in terms of sheer number of people affected. And I think what certainly it's become apparent with FTX is we had operations that were running essentially as banks, but with absolutely no oversight, um, with the commingling of funds, assets moving in and out, um, and absolutely no audit trail at all. Um, so whether, yes, there is lax oversight, um, because the regulators didn't realize quite was what was operating in their backyard, but also, I think absolute um, sort of whether it's fraud or just incompetence, we'll, we'll find out in the courts. Um, and as the facts reveal themselves, but it, it really is a, a disaster. And I think going forward, there will be a sort of a much greater regulatory regime. Um, and people will, for fine, it's a virtual asset, but essentially, if you're then leaving it in the hands of a third party to hold, um, then really, it's no different to sort of a bank. Protect yourself, perhaps, uh, as uh, we would normally do. Uh, Simon Kavanagh, uh, partner at BDA Partners and NGO Von File, uh, wealth investment strategist. Uh, thank you to both of you uh, guys uh, for coming in. Much appreciated your input uh, into Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, it's uh, 24 minutes past uh, 8 o'clock on Money Talk. This is James Ross, and uh, we cross now to Taipei for our view from Taiwan, joined uh, on the line uh, by uh, Ross Feingold, uh, who is Business Development Director at SafePro uh, Group. Uh, good morning, Ross. How are you? Good morning from Taipei. Uh, nice to have you on the show as uh, as ever. Um, you know, we're talking quite a lot um, before the break there uh, about um, US trade and China trade and so on. And of course, you know, that's an uh, integral part of uh, Taiwan's outlook as well. And in particular, you know, this uh, issue about semiconductors uh, continues. Um, time, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, TSMC, um, uh, you know, has been um, setting up over the last couple of years uh, fabrication plants around the world, particularly in the US. Um, what are your thoughts on the semiconductor world at the moment and, you know, the, the impact of these uh, trade tensions? Well, the, the real focus of attention here in the last few weeks has been, uh, especially as TSMC moves to completion of, of its large fabs in Arizona and actually announced that they're increasing the investment, is whether or not this will lead to a technology or a brain drain out of Taiwan. Now, part of this is, is political. So you have opposition politicians just looking to score points uh, against the, uh, the, the government. Uh, but but it, it probably is a legitimate concern. And of course, government officials uh, will continue to insist, well, actually, uh, uh, TSMC is not going to move its, its, its most uh, cutting-edge technology uh, to the United States. Uh, but uh, it's a very hot topic right now, and it's probably going to continue uh, to be a, a, a matter of debate going forward. So every time we hear of a milestone at TSMC's fabs in Arizona, whether that's uh, uh, moving equipment in, production starting, production ramping up, this debate is going to be remain very, very intense here in Taiwan. 
Give us a sense, uh, you know, for those of us who don't know too much about the the chip market, you know, how important is Taiwan these days in that semiconductor um, production market? Well, the, the data indicates that, that the uh, percentage of, of chips that are, are manufactured here in Taiwan uh, out of the global uh, uh, overall production, it's very high. Uh, but but it, it, there's a, a bigger picture than just the amount of chips, which, which is, uh, again, it's, it's the know-how, it's the supply chain, uh, whether that's uh, packaging and testing, uh, other aspects of the supply chain, and so much of that is done here, which is why uh, with tensions between China and Taiwan, and we have the United States and government officials starting to talk about this. And the interesting thing about that aspect of it is uh, before they, they talk about Taiwan and uh, what the United States will do to protect Taiwan, that, uh, that's a whole separate uh, discussion by itself. Uh, but but when we hear U.S. government officials start to say that oh, there's a risk, uh, you know, instead of just saying we love doing business with Taiwan, but then they, they, again, the last couple of years they start to say there's a risk of having all this production in Taiwan. We want more of it to be in the United States, and then we wind up with this uh, tremendous subsidy bill that, that uh, was passed into law in the United States, and it's going to give tens of billions of dollars to subsidize semiconductor manufacturing in the United States. So that that could also happen in Taiwan, something similar? Oh, there, there, there is existing subsidy legislation, tax breaks, for example, for R&D. Uh, but, but, yeah, the government, in response to what they see the United States doing and potentially the European Union, uh, they proposed to the Taiwan's legislature to you know, increase the tax breaks for R&D in the subicon industry that's done here in Taiwan. And I would expect something like that uh, to, to definitely pass. And, uh, so they will expand, the, expand the, the tax breaks. I think it's just a question of how much yeah. But that's basically the race we're in around the world. We see that, right, that, that uh, governments, parliaments around the world are racing to offer subsidies. And it's, it's a paradigm shift, especially for the United States, which for many, many years accused other countries of, of offering illegal subsidies, whether that was in the semicon or other industries. And the United States is doing it now, too. And then uh, uh, you know, it just becomes, becomes a race who could offer uh, the biggest subsidies. Just in the closing moments of the show, and we only have a few seconds left, um, you just one other topic I wanted to just talk about very quickly, and that is the restrictions, the mainland's recent restrictions in recent days on, on various Taiwan uh, products. That seems to be getting worse and having more impact? Uh, it, 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 of course, it's, there's an emotional aspect and a political aspect. The financial aspect is debatable because uh, ag exports actually make up a very small part of Taiwan's uh, economy. But, hey, everybody loves to save the farmer. Uh, again, that, that's something that we see all over the world as well. Uh, so that, that, that's also a very hot topic here. Again, it, it's more emotional and political than a, an actual economic impact. Uh, but, but it's a tool that China has used before. It looks like they're ready to continue to use it in a political way. Well, as ever, uh, Ross Feingold uh, gives us a great update on what's going on in the finance and business world in Taiwan. He's the business development director uh, from Safe uh, Pro Group. And uh, that's just about it from Money, Co- Money Talk for this morning. Our other guests on the show, of course, Enzio von File, wealth investment strategist, and Simon Kavner, uh, partner at BDA Partners. Uh, we'll take a quick look at the weather before we go. It'll be cold, cloudy to overcast with a few rain patches. The maximum temperature around 16 degrees, moderate to fresh north to northeasterly winds. Uh, the outlook uh, winds strengthening from the north tomorrow night. 
Winds and further becoming colder over the weekend. Uh, temperatures in the urban areas are falling below 10 degrees on Sunday and Monday and a few degrees lower in the new territories. Uh, currently, it's 13 Celsius, 95% uh, relative humidity. Money Talk will be back uh, tomorrow morning at the same time. After the news headlines, it will be uh, back chat. Um, I'll see you in the morning. Here's Andrew with the headlines. President Biden has said the United States should have societal guilt for failing to take more action to address gun violence. He was speaking on the 10th anniversary of America's worst mass school shooting when a man entered the Sandy Hook Elementary School and killed 26 people, all but six of them young children. President Biden wants to ban all assault weapons. Speaking in the U.S. Senate, Senator Richard Blumenthal said the demand for gun reform remained a top priority. Congress must do its job to strengthen our laws and prevent gun violence. The advocates and activists who are continuing this movement, we will continue that. We will honor with action the lives that are lost, not only in Sandy Hook, but all around this country. Separately, President Biden has announced a raft of new measures aimed at boosting trade with Africa. He was addressing more than 40 African leaders in Washington as the U.S. attempts to reassert its influence on the continent. Mr. Biden outlined some of the $55 billion of U.S. funding planned for Africa, including for clean energy projects. He said investing there would benefit everyone. This forum is about building connections. It's about closing deals. And above all, it's about the future, our shared future. We've known for a long time that Africa's success and prosperity is essential to assuring a better future for all of us, not just for Africa. Because when Africa succeeds, the United States succeeds. Quite frankly, the whole world succeeds as well. The head of the World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, said he's hopeful that COVID-19 will no longer be a global public health emergency next year. But Dr. Tedros warned that the availability of vaccines remains a big challenge, with only a fifth of people in low-income countries having received a jab. But he said that while COVID was still affecting many people around the world, the situation is improving. Last week, less than 10,000 people lost their lives that's still 10,000 too many. And there is still a lot that all countries can do to save lives. But we have come a long way. The Peruvian government has declared a 30-day nationwide state of emergency. It comes as supporters of the ousted president, Pedro Castillo, continue to block roads and stage protests. The BBC's Katie Watson reports. Since Pedro Castillo was ousted, seven people have died in protests and there have been roadblocks across the country. Mr Castillo was impeached shortly after attempting to dissolve Congress and rule by decree. But his supporters, many of whom are in rural and mining areas, want to see him released and fresh elections called. Defence Minister Alberto Torola said a state of emergency was necessary to keep the peace and ensure the safety of Peruvians. It means that soldiers will be able to help police in maintaining public security. President Dina Boluarte, who was sworn in after Mr Castillo was removed, has called for calm and said elections could be moved forward in an effort to ease the political crisis. In Turkey, the mayor of Istanbul, seen as a strong rival to President Erdogan, 
has been sentenced to two and a half years in prison and banned from politics for insulting public officials. Addressing supporters, Ekrem Imamoglu said the sentence was a sign of the current conditions in Turkey. This court case has proved that there's no justice left in Turkey. This case is led by people who do not want to bring the values such as justice and democracy to Turkey. In fact, this is a case which was shamelessly influenced and decided by the people who claim ownership of everything and see themselves as the state and the nation. Health officials in Greenland are extending an investigation into a birth control scandal in which thousands of Inuit women were fitted with contraceptive devices without their consent. This report from the BBC's Elaine Young. The BBC gathered accounts as 